The Doctorpreneurs Podcast with James Gupta and Dr. Greg Goodman. Transatlantic perspectives on the latest and greatest topics in healthcare innovation. And welcome to the third episode of the Doctorpreneurs podcast with me, James Gupta, and joining us from the States, Dr. Greg Goodman. This week, we're going to be talking about telemedicine and the future of the doctor visit. So, Greg, have you got a quote to kick us off with? Yeah, James, I'm so excited about the opportunity to talk about telemedicine. I think it's such a huge topic and thinking about the virtual visit and how we connect with our patients. This is from Dr. Eric Topol quote is, I'm prescribing a lot more apps than medication these days. And I think that's such a really awesome quote. I think it is going to be a different role that physicians will start to play with prescribing applications such as, you know, telemedicine apps and ways in which patients can, uh, you know, connect with their physicians in addition to other applications to help them manage their, uh, their medication. So, Mm -hmm. You know, what, do, what are your thoughts in the UK? Do you, do you see a big rise of these new, uh, new platforms and, and some of the exciting you know, work going on in telemedicine? Uh, lots of interesting work going on it. Lots of excitement from, uh, from some junior doctors and, and things like that. I don't think we're quite there yet. It's definitely not a critical mass. It's more sort of early days, just testing out in isolated pockets. But um, I think that quote sort of hits the nail on the head and it, it links back to a different quote that I read a while ago, basically some guys saying that uh, the blockbuster drug of the 21st century isn't going to be a drug at all. It's going to be some sort of intervention that increases medication adherence and sort of compliance with treatment regimes. And I think apps, uh, you know, with personalized reminders and push notifications are a great way to deliver that. So it's not surprising at all that, you know, Dr. Topol is finds himself prescribing apps rather than uh, medications these days. I think it's going to be a new way of managing. Patients have so many medications, allowing them to kind of manage them and provide some ease in which we can help them, like you're saying, with notifications and, you know, other benefits of technology to kind of automate the process, not only for the physician to kind of monitor their progress, but also, you know, the patient to really uh, kind of understand what they need to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, think, absolutely. Yeah, it's really it, exciting. It, it, you know, it must be confusing. You know, we, we've both seen patients <laughs> who have, um, you know, on multiple, you, you can be talking easily upwards of 10 different tablets that need to be taken at different times. And it's, it's difficult for me as a 24-year-old to remember all of that. And I think if you're 17, you've got a lot of other things going on and you're a little bit forgetful, maybe anyway, then it's just going to make it almost impossible to stick to that regime. Add to that the fact that there's no compliance problem with painkillers, for example. There's no problem of people not taking their painkilling medication because they get the benefit of it straight away. When you're talking about something like your blood pressure medication or your cholesterol, it's not something that you feel a benefit from. You might see the benefit a few months down the line at your next physician appointment when they show you the, the statistics. That's still a, a long-term sort of thing. And if you can show someone almost instantly or in real time the effects it's having on their blood pressure, on their pulse and on their vital signs, it's going to make them more likely to take their medication. And that's been shown in various studies as well. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, by providing, to your point, patient with data and giving them opportunities to engage in kind of monitoring and tracking and being a part of their care in a new way, I think that's where the digital future is going. Yeah. And I think even 
how we interact, where we see the doctor. You know, and one of the things that I think a lot about is there's, I think, a big movement, especially here with the changes to more continuous care. And what I mean about that statement is, you know, we've, we've thought about care in a very visit-based format. It's, you know, the patient, mm-hmm. the physician, you come to the doctor's office or you come to the hospital. I think there's going to be a new way in which we think about that, in which patients engage in the care. We're seeing that with the rise of telemedicine, which has been around, you know, since the 1950s. There was kind of a rise in which, you know, we started with radiology. Do you, do you guys also, I'm assuming, have a lot of telemedicine done with, with uh, radiologists reading you know, images and, you know, that's part of the treatment. The Nighthawk radiologist, did um, you have that in the UK? It's usually done on site still because the x-rays now are computerized and it's, you know, it's sent through the wire to the department that reads it and they report back electronically and blood tests, the, the reporting of those is done the same way. But we, we don't have it. It's not like common to send it to a, a regional center or something like that, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, there's there's lots of they're called like Nighthawk radiologists okay. or groups that basically read the image off site, you know, that are in very different locations, you know, um, to kind of provide. So that that is a form of, you know, telemedicine when, you know, somebody remotely kind of helping with care. Yeah, I think no, that's other... not something that we've really adopted yet, which is strange because I guess we've got most of the systems in place for that. And it makes sense to centralize in the UK just as it does in the US for that sort of thing. I think especially with your system, it would make a lot of sense to kind of centralize and have things fed into one system where... The, the NHS uh, the doesn't like read. doing things that make too much sense, though. They like that to keep people guessing. But yeah, um, I get, yeah, one of the big advantages of having essentially a monopoly on healthcare is that you can centralize and standardize this sort of thing. So it's, it's maybe a bit surprising that we're not doing that. You could just have one place to house the radiologist or... You know, you could even, you know, if you're thinking about it, this virtual visit. And I think, you know, as we talk about this, I think a lot of people think it's still like the Skype visit. That's one way in which physicians interact. One of the missing pieces, I'm seeing companies, especially in the States, there's a company that just won Health 2.0 called MedWand, which created a device to help measure virtually or produce a physical exam. You would have a similar uh, reaction. It would be very hard if, you know, me and you are Skyping like we're doing now and I'm diagnosing you without any way to have another whole data set, which is the physical exam and all the important features of that, especially the vital signs. It's interesting, isn't it? Because on one hand, the physical exam's got so many different components to it that it's going to be very hard to replicate all of that digitally. And I think, for at least for the foreseeable future, it's going to be basically impossible to, to fully replicate the, the physical exam. But, you know, if you can get the basics of it, if you can get blood pressure, pulse, glucose, and um, other bits, then that's something. I'm really interested in what you said then about this move to continuous care, because when you say telemedicine, I, I do still think of the, the Skype sort of visit. I think that's the idea that is in most people's heads. Yeah, you're right. Things like being able to text your doctor or uh, drop them a message and you know, have a response within a few hours would also be telemedicine. And that's, I guess, a lot more interesting to me because it's um, it's an avenue of healthcare that wasn't available before and is only enabled with technology. I think you just brought up a really great point, which is, you know, the synchronous versus asynchronous, yes, right? Totally. I'll kind of explain that for some of our listeners. So synchronous is when two people are interacting like we're doing at the same time. We both have to be available to interact. I have to be able to answer your questions. I think technology like telemedicine, you know, where you're able to collect data or you're somebody can send something. And then when you're available, much like a text message, you can respond, which is 
asynchronous communication that opens a lot of opportunity for you know allowing a very busy physician or practitioner to respond to some important things yet help patients you know with some some part of their care where maybe they don't require an emergency room visit you know because they're able to adjust you know something with their medications or you know they're able to uh, to change something yeah. um, with regards to their care avoid some of the unnecessary expenses well in the UK i would say probably about at least 50% of GP appointments didn't need a face-to-face visit or even a Skype visit to be handled. It could have been um, a a long text message or a a few minutes on an instant messaging program somewhere. Like you say, tinkering with medications, telling people to look out for certain symptoms, telling people to make lifestyle changes. I don't know, would you say it's about similar in the States? Yeah, I I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I would say, you know, even when I speak with some of my other physician friends or you know, some of the people that run some of the larger, you know, primary care practices here, a lot of what's seen in the face-to-face visit could be dealt with outside of the office. And, you know, waiting for that appointment, I think there's this whole workflow, right? You know, as a patient, you've got to disturb your whole life potentially, right? You've got to leave work. You've got to go and get into the doctor's office, maybe wait an hour, hopefully not. And so I see a real opportunity to provide a value in assisting the patient with managing their care, you know, in a different way. And, and I think that's why, you know, there is such a big boom. I think the numbers like 30 billion in 2020 is the estimated cost. And I know currently the United States is about 40% of the market, which makes a lot of sense kind of mm. given, you know, our, uh, or incentive structures. There's a lot of exciting companies, you know, looking at how to provide value in some of these newer models of care. Well, how much flexibility um, does a company or um, even just an individual physician in the states have? If, if a doctor wanted to start offering Skype visits, for example, is it is it just the the payments bureaucracy that's getting in his way of doing that, or is he free to do it whenever he wants to? I think it depends on you know your contract, but I think there's many companies. If you look at Doctor on Demand or many of the other companies where physicians can kind of sign up and and provide services. I think Teladoc, you know, where you can get on and they have a platform built out. Mm. You bring up a a good point. There's a lot of shift in the payment structure in the States. So the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, you know, which is our, you know, kind of government run uh, payment uh, model is looking at different codes. So there was a new code that was launched, you know, to help manage chronic disease. So I think there's ways to participate, but I think you bring up a really great point, which is, you know, while this technology is cool, how does it fit into the physician workflow? You know, yeah. I'm seeing a patient face to face. Now I got a video visit. Now I've got the text message. How do I manage this? And am I responsible if things happen or I miss something? Well, I think you you brought up a good point in in the last episode where you sort of said that there's models evolving where you basically can have a doctor on retainer. And, you know, so that's what I've done with various aspects of, of my company. You know, if, if I if, if I'm going to present our solicitors, our lawyers with a big piece of work, obviously, they'll charge me for that. For anything else, or even just bits of advice, I've got them on the phone, I know that I can email them and get things back. And that's the same for most of the professionals I interact with in my life. If I want to space, if, if I want to say to my GP, I'd like a referral, even a re-referral back into this clinic. I know that I'm going to have to have a face-to-face appointment for it because I've tried battling on the phone to get get it done on the phone. I was like, look, I'm a, I'm a medical student. I've been in to see you for this before. The appointment fell through. I just need a re-referral. Can you please just do me one so I don't need to take a day off? It's like, no, you've got to come in. Well, can you do it on the phone? 
no, we've got to examine you. And it just seems like it's not really getting anywhere. I think the biggest change is when the payment changes. Here it is hard to get reimbursed. I think there, you know, so there could be a consumer market where you look at a lot of, you know, the companies that are fairly popular. So the consumer might be paying out of pocket $40 or $50, you know, some sort of price. You know, maybe you have a urinary tract infection or a basic cold or sinus infection or something that you think you need antibiotics for. It's kind of a nice, easy way to your point where you don't have to miss work. As we shift the, uh, you know, to changing payments, do you see a role for a kind of, you know, to your point, an opportunity to interact uh, where the physician maybe even gets paid, you know, similar to what you had where you have a visit, you know, it's a Skype visit, maybe 15 minutes and he's able to get paid and you're able to uh, to kind of save some time and get the referral you need, which makes sense for both parties. Yeah, and even from an employer point of view, if you know if, if that if your employees are able to access that during work or in the evenings without taking a day off work, then it's basically paid for itself for um, as, a, as a retainer model. Yeah, if you're able to keep people uh, healthy and you know outside of uh, outside of the healthcare, or they mm. can access healthcare and not interrupt the day. I, it makes a lot of sense. I wonder what sort of psychological benefit it might have as well. Are you familiar with these? I think Toyota did experiments where in their factories, they they put like a, an emergency stop button on the assembly line for the employees. And they found that it was hardly ever used. But just the fact that it was there gave people a lot more confidence. They were more productive getting on with their work because they knew that they had a way to stop the machine if they needed to. And I wonder if having a doctor on on retainer or having sort of twenty four seven access end of the phone would give people that sort of confidence. You know what I mean? That they know that they can access medical advice if they suddenly need it or if their kids suddenly needed it. There is that peace of mind, right? You know, if you're able to get a question answered or you're able to uh, to kind of access an expert opinion when needed or when appropriate at yeah. a time that's convenient to you, right? Yeah, yeah. So when, um, we, when people got their, their headaches, and they, like, as we said in the first episode, they get it, they Google it, it might be cancer. <laughs> if they know for a fact that they can get good medical advice within five minutes of pushing that button, I wonder if it would just make them more likely to say, okay, well, actually, let's, let's ride it out for a day or two, and I can always press the button if I need it. I think the other thing is, uh, to your point, kind of this waiting period. You know, many physicians are so ready to pull the trigger and pull treatments and we're able to kind of watch it and kind of do nothing for a little bit and say, yeah, you know, let me check in with you tomorrow or, you know, you spoke to the doctor and he, he can give you that so-called triage, right? This sounds very serious. Maybe go to the emergency department or why don't you, you know, take something over the counter. Let's let's check in tomorrow. I think that comfort patients would definitely. I'm a big proponent of that, that sort of conservative medicine, you know, not doing something unless you really need to. So James, let's launch into the Ask Doctorpreneur question where we take questions out of the community. And I think this is a question that I get asked a lot. When is the right time to kind of so-called jump off the cliff? When should you leave clinical medicine and maybe join an entrepreneurial venture or when should I get involved? You know, I mean, medicine's a large commitment, but when I graduated Tufts Medical School in Boston, I decided to join a startup full time. And it was one of the best, you know, experiences for me, kind of getting involved and doing it full time and actually have just come back into clinical medicine. Mm. For me, it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to come back, definitely antsy to get back into the entrepreneurial community and, and play the game again. You know, it was it was a really fun run. And, and I think it's a very personal decision, but I, th- I think there's values to, to doing both. And I enjoy treating patients is why I came back. And 
I think it's a journey. What What do you think, James? Uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it. So it's a personal decision, to be honest. It's really complicated, and I, I have difficulties making that decision for myself, so let alone trying to venture into uh, making it for other people. Personally, I've strongly considered, I'm in my fourth out of five years at the moment, I've strongly considered dropping out at various points. Not so much because I, I don't enjoy the medical course, because I do. Obviously, it's got its boring moments. It's got its amazing moments. The main reasons I've been considering dropping out are the fact that the, the company is growing so quickly. And sometimes I feel like it, it could use my full-time attention more and medicine's pulling me away from that. My response to that was to delegate more of the work and to train up the team better. So now it's at a point where I know that it can run both. So I, I'd personally like to graduate, at least get the degree. I think that gives a lot of credibility in that space, especially when you're going to be advocating change for a lot of clinicians. I think there's a lot of credibility that comes from being a clinician as well. I'd love to do a few, at least a few years in full-time clinical practice. But for me, it just all depends on where the business is um, two or three years from now. It's a really hard decision. I, I really commend you. I, I know there's a lot of times in medicine, you know, it's a tough road. It's a long road to kind of continue. I think there's a ton of value to kind of completing at least the medical degree, especially if you've started, I think, along the path. Though that's and, it. If, you, uh, if you've started it, it, it does make sense to finish it just because it's always there for you then. And, you know, you can launch into clinical practice pretty much whenever you want. And it's it's always the what if, right? You know, yeah, that's the so game. The, what if. <laughs> the other point that I just want to stress to the listeners is that, you know, it's a long career. I, I, I know, you know, things get very exciting. It sounds like you have, James, a uh, you know, incredibly exciting business that you're working on. And, and I think that makes the decision even harder. But I think for many listeners, you know, if you're getting started in the entrepreneurial community or looking, you know, unless you have something incredibly promising, something to kind of tread carefully, tread lightly, yeah. you definitely start playing. But, you know, don't don't jump all in unless you really know what you're doing. It's a uh, yeah, you know, entrepreneurship I think that, is that, not that for the weak. <laughs> when you're sort of uh, in your twenties, I think, because your know, medicine's a it's a stable career and it's something that you know, will always be there. Your your business, my business, could could fail tomorrow, and you know it happens all the time. It's just part of the sort of roller coaster of that of that world. So yeah, if at all you can get the medical degree, then um, go for it. We'd love to hear the listeners' views on this. I I think it's such an interesting topic, so we're excited to to hear the comments. So James, let, let's get into our clinic of greatness. What do we have this week for action doctorpreneur community? Sure. Uh, so for our clinic of greatness this week, favorite phrase of mine, which is always be shipping. It's a sort of lean startup take on the classic phrase, always be selling from sales and marketing. Always be shipping is about the fact that your product is never going to be perfect and it's never going to be quite the way that you want it to be. But you've got to stick to a release schedule, whether that's every week, every two weeks, and keep iterating on and improving your offering to people because otherwise your product's never actually going to make it into the real world you're going to work for years on something that fits a certain vision of yours but hasn't ever been sort of battle tested amongst your users whereas if you're shipping it all the time then you're starting to build up momentum you're starting to get feedback from your users and it's really validating your idea so always be shipping I love that. And it's a, it's all about shipping and selling and, and getting the product out there. Absolutely. I think, you know, so many companies build like to your point, you know, in this ideation, perfection vacuum, and, and, and it's just important to get out, put it out there, continue to, to kind of grow and, and, and understand. And, you know, as a physician, I don't think for everyone, it comes naturally to, to learn to sell or to ship, but 
I think it's so important yeah. if you want to be a successful physician there, entrepreneur. There's a very, a very quick example of this, actually. There's an emergency medicine uh, EMS, so an IT system that was re- released in some hospitals in the UK. Obviously, years in development, I assume, and sort of millions spent on it. And they released it, and straight away, doctors picked up the problem that you could only have one patient active at a time. And you had to finish that <laughs> consultation before opening a new one. If you'd have tested that at all with the people, they'd have told you, well, people come rushing in, bleeding from, from the head, and you've got to suddenly switch over. So it, it wasn't tested, and obviously it didn't get accepted as a result of it, but they'd wasted all that time and effort. I think it's a great tip. It's uh, one of the cornerstones to uh, to being a successful you know, entrepreneur as well as physician entrepreneur, even more important to to learn the skills of selling and shipping. Mm-hmm. It's been a fun episode, James. It's been, yeah, uh, it been incredible. The future is bright. Hopefully. <laughs> that, that's your American so, optimism and my British sort of cynicism. <laughs> exactly. So we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We're excited for the comments. Keep following. Keep hashtag ask Doctorpreneur. Leave your comments. And uh, excited for the fourth episode next week. Yeah, we've not decided the topic for that one. So if anyone's got any suggestions, feel free to send them in over Twitter at Doctorpreneurs or on our website, doctorpreneurs.com. Thanks, James. Thank you. From Greg and James, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, remember to subscribe to the show and check out www.doctorpreneurs.com for more.